Race matters. 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 to acknowledge that we are broadcasting on unceded Gadigal land. This land has been in the hands of generations of Gadigal custodians for thousands of years before us and it will continue to be in their hands long after us. It's a meeting place for sharing knowledge, stories and song and we are privileged to be part of that storytelling today and every day at FBI Radio. I pay my respects to Gadigal elders past and present We're broadcasting from Redfern right now, the birthplace of black theatre in this country and a site for resistance and resilience for First Nations peoples. You're listening to Race Matters. This is a show made by people of colour speaking with people of colour about the ways we understand and value our racial identities. I'm Sharika Hellaludin. Theatre and storytelling have long been art forms in Filipino culture as ways to communicate the complexities of life, family and society. Ahead on the show, we have a special interview by guest producer Eric Zhang, who spoke with actor and recipient of the Griffin Theatre Fellowship, Happy Ferraren. She spoke to Eric amid her time in the Philippines about her improv practice and how comedy can be used as a tool for political critique. They also spoke about her work here in Sydney as the community consultant and translator for the upcoming theatre production Arte Lovia. It's a Filipino-Australian drama set in the Sydney Shire in the 90s, following the lives of a family who have escaped the stronghold of dictatorship back home, only to be facing the blaring whiteness and anti-immigrant sentiment from the likes of conservative government here. Here's Eric Zhang and Happy Ferraren. I'm here with Happy Ferraren, an actor, improviser and artist who's worked with contemporary Asian-Australian performance, acted in independent theatre shows and trained in improv across the world. Happy is also the recipient of the Griffin Incubator Fellowship, which is a residency at the Griffin Theatre followed by a program of professional development. Thank you so much for speaking with me, Happy. How are you feeling today? Thank you, Eric, for having me. Um, I'm currently in Manila, so this is... This is great to be able to connect to people from Sydney <laughs> via the screen. What does your stay in Manila look like? Um, it's a very hectic, hectic trip. Um, I'm mainly here because I'll be doing some coverage on the elections. So we have a major national election happening in May 9. Um, and elections here are a big deal. They're very, very high stakes. Um, I remember when I first saw an Australian election, it seemed very peaceful. <laughs> People were eating sausages, selling cake, and I was like, wow, this is like a picnic. It's like a barbecue. <laughs> but here it's very different, very different moods, very different. Um, yeah, just very, very, very different. Just the stakes are different. Um, we also have a different system of governance and different styles of campaigning as well. So. Um, yeah, I had to be 
home for that as well as other personal engagement. <laughs> Thought I'd also just start uh, maybe with talking about your involvement in Arte La Via, a play written by John Shea and directed by Kenneth Moraletta, playing at the Old Fitz. Uh, can you tell us a bit about what the play is about? Uh, sure. So the story is set in the 90s um, in suburbia, in in um, in the Shire. So this is very much about um, a Filipino family and how they cope with the realities of what it was like in the 90s during, I think this was the height of white Australia policy, uh, people coming into terms to that. So it's like a coming-of-age story centered on the character of Ate Lovia. So Ate is a term in Tagalog, in Filipino, which means um, big sister. So she's a big sister. She's the one who keeps everything together. I don't want to spoil. I don't want to spoil it. But it's a really good glimpse into what family life is for Filipino families who were living in the Shire during the 90s. So it, yeah, it's just like coming of age story. And so it's really, it touches on different realities, social, political realities, of course, um, the, the cultural realities that they face as well as a migrant family. So um, it gives you an insight to that, to how, how different or maybe similar um, life was for someone growing up in the 90s in the Shire. Great. Um, and you're credited as uh, translations and cultural consultant. Yeah. Um, what yes. does that role kind of look like? For me, it's really more because my, my experience is I grew up in the Philippines. So I moved to Australia as a migrant, um, as an adult already. So I'm in my 30s. I moved um, maybe five years ago. Um, and I think my role really is to help the actors understand um, the the political realities in the Philippines that drove their character's family to migrate. So I think um, one central event, I think, is, and, and you'll hear the characters talk about it a lot, is the, the dictatorship. So that is called martial law. So the Philippines from the 70s until 1986 was under uh, dictator Marcos. And... This actually during this time, many, many Filipinos moved out because they were you know, afraid or they were oppressed. They had people around them that were disappearing. Um, you know, like um, my own mother-in-law, for example, she, she moved during the 70s to Australia because she had classmates who were disappearing. So different motivations, different political realities that that drive people out of a country. And I think that's that's very important um, for people to understand, um, especially, especially the, the Filipino-Australian community. This is very much, you know, in the Philippine diaspora, Filipino diaspora around the world. Many people moved during this time. Many people moved to, to different countries during this time. And so mainly that's what... Um, in, in the cultural side of things, really just grasping that reality and what that meant. Um, because uh, some, some, maybe some of the actors, you know, they, were, they were young, they didn't experience, they didn't really hear about it. Um, so I was really there to kind of help them understand that context 
and make it real for them to understand these were the stakes that they were facing. So that on the cultural and political side. In terms of the language, I think it is also um, one of the things that I did was making them get used to the Filipino sound. So, you know, in the Philippines, we speak many languages. English is an official language as well as Filipino. And, and I, think, I think what... Um, we would do exercises that would really help them get used to the sound, to the Philippine Philippine sound, Filipino sound, in the way we talk, um, in the way we express. We are a very expressive culture. You know, we make a lot of like, mm, like a lot of like auntie sounds, like mm, what's that? So, so kind of getting used to that and and using that to kind of activate um, activate the uh, the characters in them. Great. Um, I just wanted to touch on that first point you made. What does the process of making other people understand what the stakes are or were um, really look like? Is there like storytelling involved or exercises that you do to really impart kind of the weight of what the diaspora were feeling at that time? Um, well, it was, we were really just talking about it. So, you know, we sat down, um, gathered in a rehearsal room, and we were really just talking about it. Of course, um, since the actors are of Filipino background, they are Filipino, they, they know bits and pieces of it. And it was really more coming to the table, bringing what you know, and kind of putting that all together. Um, based on you know what they heard from their parents, what they heard from their relatives, um, it, it, it's a lot of that. It's a lot of storytelling, and then bringing it together. Um, recently, there were also documentaries that came out about this time, and so just also sharing resources about that. And I think, um, yeah, that was very important. I think really just just learning about what happened during martial law, what kind of oppression happened, what kind of human rights violations happened. Because even us Filipinos who are here in the Philippines, that's not even so embedded in our education system. So what more Filipinos who grow up abroad? Um, because there was really a culture of silencing by the dictator. You know, anyone who would speak up against him was killed, tortured, arrested. So, you know, that that still looms over us. And this is recent history. This was only, you know, it was only 36 years ago that we were able to oust the dictator. And um, like what I mentioned, I'm here for the elections and the survey leader leading the polls right now is the son of the dictator. So it's like, have we learned from history or have we not? Have we forgotten or are we going to remember? So I think this play, you know, it's, it is an act of remembering and we take it for granted. We underestimate the power of memory. And a lot of us didn't get to grow up talking about this and really understanding the stakes, again, both for Filipinos abroad and Filipinos um, in the Philippines. So secondly, there's also a lot of disinformation and whitewashing happening right now, um, propagated by the Marcos camp. So it, it's so important. I think all the more this, this story is so important um, to help us remember, kind of like a refresher, you know, like, yes, this happened just 36 years ago. Um, it, it's very recent. And, uh, you know, we have to continue this act of remembering and whether that is done through education or through the arts, through the theater, um, we will do it. 
so yes, so storytelling was a big part of, of that, sharing our experiences and what we do. I guess it kind of like relates to a different question I have about um, the kind of different audiences that you expect to come through to watch the show. And obviously for, for Filipino audiences, uh, it really tie, like ties into that kind of personal histories, I guess. Um, but for other communities, um, what do you think the kind of, what, what's the grab there or what's the, the way that you can talk to other audiences as well? Usually when we think diversity, we think it is just representation. Put, the, put an Asian actor there, put an Aboriginal actor there, and therefore we have, we have um, a diverse story. <laughs> but, but really, for, for me, I think what it is, is creating um, diversity for me is really the diversity of voices, the diversity of culture that already exists in Sydney in Australia. Um, and for me, it's really, why not? We, we, we are so used, we are so bombarded with one style of story, storytelling, one trope of narrative, you know, it's, just, it's the same old thing. And it's important for us to realize also the diversity of Australia's culture. Um, these, this is a significant number, a significant part of the population of Australia. Um, you know, like even me, when I was moving to Australia, I was not aware that it had a big Asian Australian community. Because for me, you know, Australia was always packaged as, oh, it's the great outdoors, kangaroos, um, the outback. That's all you ever think of Australia. And then I got to Sydney and it's like, actually, there's there's so much more. And it's, it's a living culture right now. And so I think... I think it's, it, it, you know, it's a story. It's a coming-of-age story. They're teenagers coming into terms with their political reality, their cultural reality, all the awkwardness of being a teenager coming into terms with that self. And um, it's a, of course, it's a different lens, so to speak, and a different um, story in the sense that it's not the typical, oh, um, high school bullies sit with the cool, cool kids and things like that. You know, it's 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 richer in that sense. So I think it's not, yes, it's a Filipino story, but it's not limited to a Filipino audience because it's um, there's so much to learn from it. There's so much richness in it. And I think um, learning and understanding that, you know, this is part of the reality of Sydney as well. This this does not happen in a vacuum. We are not an isolated community. These are people that that you see on an everyday basis in your in work, um, in parties, or wherever. You know, the your neighbors. Um, these these stories exist and are there, and I think it's up to us to really embrace that. That Australia is a multicultural. Um, country so why why shy away from it like this is this is the, the beauty of it of being in a culture where you have diversity in voices and uh, the plurality as well i think that's that's very important just to just to learn from yeah we definitely have much more kind of varied storytelling on stage but it's always interesting to see what kind of audiences are, are going to that kind of to those kinds of shows. Um, full disclosure, I like saw a show recently, um, which was like made up pretty much of like a full kind of Asian cast, and the majority of the audience was white, 
and it was just kind of awkward. I don't know if you've ever had like a situation where you're like not sure if they're laughing the right things or they're taking it, interpreting it in a different way than like an audience that is consisting of people of color would. Do you have any like reflections on that kind of divide? Um, yeah, I, for, for me, I think I just, um, I have performed also as an actor, I have performed in, you know, an all Asian, all female cast. And, and every night your audience was mixed. You had, you had white people and you had people of color, you had Asian Australians there. And um, I think for me, it's just, you know, every night that was new, I allowed myself to, to be surprised. Um, to me, it's always interesting how people react to things. Of course, for some things, you know, the laughter is louder because it's like, okay, they get it. Um, but for some, it's shock. It's like, oh, I didn't, I didn't know this was a, a reality. You know, like even me as an actor, I would say something or, you know, you know which scene is coming next. And I'm like, this is my favorite scene. It's super funny. And then you see and they're like, oh, but they're not laughing. But some people are. And I think for me, it's, it's, always, it's always a gift. It's always... Um, that's part of it. That's part of community building. That's part of why you do theater, because you, the piece creates its own community around it. Um, for me, also when I was doing when I when I was doing improv in Sydney, um, I remember I did. That was one of my fears. I was like, especially improv um, in the comedic stage, you're never sure. Are my characters going to land? Are my jokes going to land? But at one point, you kind of just let go of that fear and be like, well, who cares? When I did it, I, for me, it was like, well, I want to do it. I want to do it for me as an actor creatively. This is what I wanted to do. So I did um, this improv duo. We were two Filipinos um, performing improv on stage, and it was based on, you know, Filipino characters, Filipino culture. And of course, it's a... Um, you don't know if it's going to work, right? Um, but we did it anyway. And I think really uh, in the beginning, I was really scared. And then at one point, I just decided I'm not going to apologize for who I am. So was improv kind of your first love? What what drew you to improv? Yeah, definitely. It was, um, I I watched a show back here when I was in Manila. So I started my improv practice here in Manila. And I watched the show. It was an improv group. And I was like, oh my God, I was so blown away. And I joined, I auditioned and joined. And um, I've been with them for like 15 years doing it. I think for me, the thrill is really the um, being in the now. So I love live performances. And with improv, it's really live because you have no script. You have no script. You're really just creating in the moment with the suggestions from the room, with the energy in the room, with the kind of people that that are there. Um, all of that you draw from in your performance, and I think, I think for me, just that the draw of, of being live and in the now, mm. it was very exciting for me. So that's what kept me going. That's incredible. Um, yeah. Would Would you able <laughs> to give like an example of of like a more traditional f- form of of theater that? you've intertwined with with improv practice uh like some of the the musical ones so like here we have um the sarsuela which is a different sort of um there there are tropes character tropes um narrative tropes and also in terms of how you how you design them the music there are certain rhythms and rhymes so we we use that so 
usually you see people doing um, musical improv and they do it in the normal, like how they learn musical improv in the US. But for us, we kind of turn it and we're like, well, we already have our own musical theater styles here in the Philippines. So why not use that as the kind of the form and yeah, and just merge it. And in, in smaller, like in short form improv, we did things like um, improvised beauty contests because beauty contests are like a major deal here in the Philippines. It's like our national sport. So we would do, um, we had an improv format, which was, you know, beauty contest. And we had, um, we had, uh, what do you call this? Like an oracle, like a fortune teller, <laughs> like a three-headed fortune teller. So um, usually if you watch an American show, you'll see like a three-headed, expert or something talking one word at a time but for us we kind of changed that and made it uh, an oracle or a fortune teller a three-headed fortune teller speaking one word at a time so little little things like that um to kind of make it our own that's awesome that's so cool um and then i just wanted to shift towards uh your work with griffin so would you be able to talk oh, sure. more about um your project which won the incubator fellowship the the decision for me personally that i was like i want to do um i want to do theater now as in like i want to try and and write a script and using my improv background i kind of wanted to merge the practice and be like okay maybe i can write the script by devising this piece using improv so different improv sessions which will be able to kind of inspire my characters, um, the narrative, the sort of the dialogue. So like um, during our residency, I, I improvised dialogue with um, over Zoom because it was pandemic, over Zoom with um, one of my co-improvisers here and we improvised dialogue. And that that's what I used to kind of write that first, first 10 minutes. So. In method, that is that is the, the thing that I'm trying to do with the Griffin Fellowship. And then in, in terms of the theme, um, the story will be about international aid. So <laughs> very um, it it's about like it's about the white savior complex. So, you know, being from the Philippines, which is a, I hate to use the term third world country that always receives all of these foreign aid um, from different um, first world countries and sort of seeing the other side of that, the other side of aid. So I think Australian audiences, you're used to seeing, um, you know, you'll see it in the news. Oh, Australia gives this much uh, millions of dollars to the Philippines for typhoon relief. So, but you never see what goes on where that money actually goes, how it's spent, what what happens in those um, aid projects. So um, that's sort of what um, the story, that's where the, that's the political reality of the story. But In what ways do you feel like the stories that you tell are handled and presented with care? Uh, so firstly, I think the, the mere fact that they let this they chose this story out of all those that applied for the fellowship in fact when i first applied for it i was scared i was like i don't know if 
you know it's a it's political like even if it's a comedy it's political content and um i wasn't sure that they were going to take their chance on me because i said you know that this is this can be quite a contentious or controversial topic um i think that in terms of political content on stage um is not very common in australia um of course there are more that are coming out now but you know just generally speaking i don't really see political content that is probably uh contentious and i so for me that's that was one indication that okay i think there is there is definitely um that that impetus to tell this story secondly i think um i'm relying very much on my background as an improviser so for context when when we create improv we very much operate like an ensemble so there is no hierarchy in terms of we have a director a producer a writer and we have to follow what they say so very much used to that you know you can call it a democratic process if you want or um collaborative process very much centered on, on the group on the ensemble and i think um you know moving to australia hearing hearing people you know my fellow asian australian creatives you know telling me all these horror stories of how how their stories were diminished or mishandled on stage um really affected me i didn't want to make the same mistakes and so you know i hear these things and kind of um learn from it firstly and second really trying to um understand that it's it's a process you know your job is really to create a space where people firstly feel free to share their ideas and express and um safe that they will not be you know shunned or um embarrassed or harassed for ideas that they put on the table and um handling that of course that's uh, I, i'm not saying that our process will be perfect but um i draw again back from from my life as an improviser we're very much it is um no hierarchy and very much everybody put something in the table and it's like um everyone has a say um i for me very much what i love about improv is that the the individuals of me as a performer i have agency i have agency as a performer i'm not afraid that if i do something a director or someone will be like why did you do that because it's it's very much my choice and respecting that so that's what i hope hoping that that my background as an improviser will very much inform the process in creation um but again this is this is the first time i'm doing it so you know i'm sure i will make mistakes but that was also one of the the driving forces of me insisting that i want to bring improv in the process because improv respects that agency of individuals the creative perspective of each individual and there is no hierarchy so even if it's my project i'm you know i'm going to let go of it like it's not it's not all about me um so yeah so i think that 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 will be in in the process side that will be one of the um the challenges um hopefully the the process will work this experiment will work um but yeah so i think that that's that's um my main way of ensuring that 
the story is handled with care. That is all for Race Matters this week. I'm Sharika Hellaludin. Thank you so much to guest producer Eric Jung for bringing us that interview with actor, improviser and playwright Happy Ferraran. Arte La Via, written by Jordan Shea, is currently playing at the Old Fitz until June 4. We'll have ticket details in our show notes. Race Matters. 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 Race Matters.